Welcome to The Listen, a podcast by Charlie Perry and me, Abby Gibson. Every week we share our observations and over-analysis from pop culture, news and our own lives. (laughs) Over-analysis is my favourite part of that intro. (laughs) Exactly. We have to be clear that we're diving into stuff that really doesn't need analysis and we go hard and hard and hard. Well, I don't know if I agree because I've seen that in your top line talking points you've put mean girls, so... (laughs) That needs analysis. It really, really does. That absolutely needs analysis and discussion. I take back exactly what I said. But before we begin, with this being our inaugural episode, I feel like we should do a brief introduction into who the hell are we? Who the hell are you? (laughs) Who are you? Well, I'm a hot mess and didn't have the the correct equipment to start off this entire podcast. Love that. Uh, My name is Charlie Perry and I am the founder of Astro Productions, which is the podcast company that makes podcasts for primarily female audiences and, of course, this podcast. Who the hell are you? Who am I? (laughs) Great question. Well, I am Abby Gibson. I am a senior producer at Astro Productions that so Charlie is technically my boss. I mean, not technically, yeah. you are. I am, but it really doesn't feel like that. No, but it's fine because we'll have an HR representative present on every <laughs> recording. <laughs> when I was doing a talk the other day, a lawyer came over afterwards and was like, hey, I just want to hand you this uh, card in case you ever needed any help with any of your podcasts. And I was like, maybe we need help with more than that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe team hate me. <laughs> joking, joking, joking. <laughs> Abby, I think we should give people context as to why we are producing The Listen. Yes. Because I think there's been like a level of frustration and the kind of the purpose of Astrid and why we do what we do is because women in audio have been on the back burner for a very long time and we're putting women as the priority. So we wanted to make The Listen because to be honest, there's not many pop culture podcasts out there. And we felt like there was a a kind of gap in the market for us. And so therefore we thought, why not fill it with us? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we've had enough of producing other people's podcasts and we thought, it's our time now. (laughs) (laughs) We love all the podcasts we make. To be fair, I do always think it's quite funny how it's like, from the producers of, so I guess we are the producers of, yeah. this podcast is brought to you by the producers of Closet Confessions with Candice Brathwaite and Sorel. Well, I'm going to say Coco Sorel, but it's Sorel Madzaya. Um, Stompcast with Dr. Alex George. Tiny Acts of Bravery with Clover Stroud. Yes. We've also started our kin- a podcast with our kindred company, Astrid and Mew, the most yes. gorgeous jewelry brand in existence we love and they do the fun little welded bracelets which they very kindly gifted me and I got an A for Astrid and a pink gem for I basically was fresh out of the Barbie film (laughs) (laughs) and figured it was like female empowerment so there we go oh my god gorge (laughs) uh so yes we felt like there was a a cultural gap in the female market ever since the high low dissipated RIP we miss you so much and we're not here to replicate we're just here to hopefully entertain uh, women who are wanting a weekly update. We'll be here every week. We've just got to, we've got to get our shit together, Abby. <laughs> we do. We have spreadsheets coming out of our ears. We do. We do the all the unsexy parts of podcasting, but you don't need to hear about that right now. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> There's plenty of them. Um, so every week we are going to bring, um, like Abby said, observations and over analysis from pop culture and what the hell is going on in the world. So 
this is our pilot. We are going to post this. It's probably going to be a little bit dated. It's November, like early to mid-November right now while we're recording this. It's not going to go out straight away, but this is more for us to kind of pressure test our idea. And if we think it's worth you listening, then you can hear it right now. And I suppose... (laughs) If you don't hear this, it's been canned, so that's great. Um, But we essentially are going to bring some things to the table based off of how we've spent our time, what we've enjoyed consuming, and um, I suppose just our personal views on whatever's going on. So do you want to kick it off, Abby? Because I feel like your first point is, well, go for it. Yeah, well, actually, this wasn't a something that was originally on the table to talk about until about 10 minutes ago um, because I was waiting for Charlie to join um, the call and I was- While I was running around East London looking for an XLR cable. (laughs) Exactly. So I was just scrolling um, Twitter. No, I won't call it X. And (laughs) I saw a trailer for the new Mean Girls musical movie. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Uh, Did you not? Okay. So, well, obviously, as we know, Mean Girls OG film came out like 2003, 2004. It's an iconic piece of art. Yes. Um, And then I think it was about a few years ago, they did a musical of it. Like it went to Broadway. It's actually coming to London very, very soon. And now they've made a a movie of the musical version, which was a musical version of the original Mean Girls. <laughs> Hang on, I feel like I've just been slapped with like a million things in my face. Right, it's a re- it's a musical version of the 2003-4 movie, which now has been, has gone to Broadway and they filmed the musical and now that's going into cinema. No, no. They, oh, for God's no, sake. No, exactly, no. So this isn't a filmed version of the stage production. You know how... Do you remember the musical Hairspray? Yes. The exact same thing happened with that. So in 2007 or so, the musical Hairspray came out as a film. That was an adaptation of the Broadway musical, but the Broadway musical Hairspray was originally a non-musical film in the, from the 80s. I see. So it's basically, let's just cut out the musical part on Broadway. Sure. They've basically made a musical film of Mean Girls. Yes. Great. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm sold. I mean, I don't love musicals, but I don't hate them. I'm very impartial, unlike the majority of people. But I do think, is there going to be a song that there has to be a phenomenal song about... Um, can I get you guys anything? A condom? <laughs> what, what's the what's the thing? <laughs> like snacks? A condom? What I want to know God is who's written the music. That's a great question. I believe it was partly written by Tina Fey's husband. That I could be wrong. Um, so I, <laughs> <laughs> wait, I need to know now. Mean Girls musical. So I am, I'm very, I'm very familiar with the musical. I've actually watched a bootleg of it, which is like an illegal recording of the show because I'm. We do not I'm condone not... this behavior at Astrid Productions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the lyrics are by Nell Benjamin. Yes, sorry, the music is by Tina Fey's husband, and the lyrics is by someone else who was like a, a yes, spirits Broadway person. Right, that's me being a heathen because the question I was actually asking was who wrote the lyrics, not the actual music. So that's a problem on my part. Yeah, no, no, don't worry. Um, so one thing I'm not a huge fan of the musical, um, because when I watched it, quote unquote, technically I didn't, but I did. Um. <laughs> 
the script for the musical was basically exactly the same as the film. Mm-hmm. And then you threw in music that the lyrics were very clunky, but the music itself is like very, very catchy. So like, for example, there's a music, you know, the Halloween scene, mm-hmm. that's like Karen's like big song. And she sings about how you're allowed to be like sexy at Halloween. And the song is called Sexy. And it is actually iconic. <laughs> So, and the reason why I actually desperately wanted to talk about this though, was that in the trailer that I just watched, and actually this is going to change your mind on everything and it's going to really upset you, is that it said in big, bold, like pink letters, this is not your mother's mean girls. As in, they're talking to our children that I've not yet birthed. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Excuse me. I was at the prime age of Mean Girls. In 2004, I was in year seven. I have just turned 30 years old. What are they talking about? Yeah. They've just aged me by five years. Literally. And I was like, because, and they've really like hammed it up and being like a Gen Z adaptation of Mean Girls. Sorry, but Gen Z do not like Mean Girls. No. Surely, I might, I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I feel like it's a very millennial film. Mm. For sure. And that's that's also the thing is that millennials are not the parents of Gen Z. Yeah, so true. What is yeah. our generation going to be called when we have babies? Has that been like- I don't think it's been named yet because the next generation below Gen Z is Generation Alpha, aka yeah. iPad babies. IPad so then babies. if <laughs> but that's about to I think that's finished now and now there'll be a new generation that will be our children. Hmm, interesting. But how offensive is that? Yeah, I mean, everybody hates millennials anyway, so that's great. But <laughs> generation yet to be named really going to hate us because we called them. <laughs> we said that this was not their mother's mean girls. <laughs> how dare they? Who's the cast? Uh, Tina Fey's in it. Um, as Miss Norbury, once again. Um, the, the principal is also reprising his role as the principal. Nice. Um, and then the... Have you watched Emily in Paris? No, I'll go on to oh. the reasons why I've not yet joined in any hypes <laughs> later on, but do carry on. Well, um, Ashley Park, who is Emily's friend in Emily in Paris, she actually played Gretchen on Broadway, but she's playing a teacher, which again is another insult to her. Because yeah. you're like, has she really aged out that much? No, <laughs> she hasn't. <laughs> good Lord. Okay, well, oh. good news for me, girls. Oh, this is Abby's dog, Tess, just saying hello. <laughs> can hear her grumbling in the background oh she's little rescue dog um I also must apologize for any loud noises from the street outside one thing that we haven't spoken about is the fact that you're in Manchester Abbey and I'm in London yes Astrid was originally started in Manchester we had so many clients down here that I I essentially spent all of my time in London while um because I was working here but my flat was in Manchester and it didn't make sense anymore and so that is why Manchester is Abby's working location in London is mine. London is very noisy, especially at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> yes, exactly, um, yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm very excited to see the Mean Girls thing. But on a slightly more, I don't want to say sophisticated or cultural level, I went to see Killers of the Flower Moon um, over the weekend. Three hours, 24 minutes. I was going to say, that is long I've not planned uh, there's no way I'm seeing that in a cinema I can't right this is the debate because I actually believe that the film has to be that long because if it was any shorter it it would have done disservice to how complex the issue at hand is yeah 
And it, it really opened my eyes because first of all, I had no idea about, I, I really don't want to ruin anything because I went into this film having not really read anything about it, but just knowing that it was like knowing who the cast were essentially. Mm-hmm. And kind of that is what sold me. And so me and my best friend were saving up the time to go and see it. And we realized the Sunday afternoon was the perfect time. And because it was so long, we decided to go to the Everyman. Tell me why I do not have shares in Everyman because <laughs> I spent 20 pounds on a ticket and then another 20 pounds on drinks and snacks. For a cinema trip. Yes. It was in central London, but I will also say that that is still daylight robbery. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. If you've never been to an Everyman or you've not heard of it before, it's just a really bougie cinema where you sat on sofas and they bring food and drink to you. So you go to the cinema, go straight to the seat and then they come to you. So there's no queuing and whatnot. They are really maximizing on these extra length films. But back to the point about the film, it really kind of got me thinking that the involvement to be able to make a film like that, if anybody's listening and they've seen it, you'll understand that it's it's based on a true story, but it's very recent. Obviously, there's also there's always a lot of research that goes into films, but this is like a very specific moment in history that is so morally, ethically, culturally wrong. And I actually stayed behind. I've never done it before. I stayed behind and watched the credits to see like who, like how, like who was involved in it, how it was made really just by seeing who was involved. And it got me thinking that I find maybe because we work in the industry, like in the media industry, but I really feel as though entertainment can either kill or completely gatekeep culture. And I think that we're moving more towards the direction of gatekeeping culture by kind of writing the wrongs of the past, if that makes sense. And this film does that really well. And I love a film where I come out and I'm like, oh my God, I had no idea about that. And then the ending, oh, I, I can't say anything because you have to go and see it, Abby. But the, <laughs> okay. the ending was just like, it, you'll have to come back and tell me when you've seen it because I don't want to ruin it for you. But it was just perfect. And it was it was brilliant. Um, so yeah, my, my little snippet on cinema is Killers of the Flower Moon, which I highly recommend everybody goes to see. Amazing. I am just like totally put off by the length. I think the last, I obviously, I went to see Oppenheimer. Yeah. Me and my, um, partner decided to spend the day before we got married my sorry partner's still husband (laughs) is it I say I think people say partner when it's like you're not married no but partner is just like a ungendered term for your spouse oh yeah oh god okay well we're gonna have to cut that (laughs) (laughs) no it's fine Um, sorry do you carry on thank you um no so yeah me and my me and my new husband um we spent the day before we got married watching Oppenheimer because we were like we actually do need to like take our minds off like the world and what the hell we're doing this weekend and the Wedman yeah so yeah we went and saw Oppenheimer and I I'm really glad I did see it, but I did have to go to the toilet twice. Oh yeah, I went to the toilet three times during yeah. Killers of the Flower. But I I hate that. I'm the kind of person who like if Dan, my partner's called Dan, if Dan starts talking during like us watching 
Rick and Morty, I'll pause it because I'm like, oh, you're wanna, a pauser. I am a pause because I'm like, I don't want to, I want to give you my full attention, but I don't want to miss what's happening on screen. So True. which ultimately, yeah, just comes down to that when it is a long film, I have to really, really want to see it in order to see it in the cinema because, but I'm also way more open to like paying for the home release of a, of a film, especially mm. since COVID because I appreciate like how much work goes into these films and like I want to support like cinema and the film industry. Yeah. But three and a half hours long plus adverts. You would have been yeah, there true. for like, that's half a day. Yeah, I was there for a long time. Yeah. But the other part of this whole thing that was really frustrating was that I'm currently doing a spending competition with my best friend, mm. Amy, which involves in the month of November seeing who could spend the least on non-essential goods. So I made a TikTok about the whole thing and it kind of blew up because we had an argument over whether my deodorant was classed as essential. <laughs> you were getting attacked in those comments. <laughs> yeah, and then I was getting attacked. I was saying it was obviously essential. But do you think, I need you to actually settle this. Okay. Do you think that a dog chew is an essential <laughs> spending? Because she has a dog and I said it wasn't. Oh my gosh. Uh, what Not ty- a toy, like edible. Was it, what type of, type of chew was it? She just said a big chew. <laughs> a big chew. That is such a good question, actually, because we've, we're running a bit low on chews. My argument was that the essential thing is food. Like, she's not eating it to fill herself and nourish herself. She's eating it as a treat. I really want to be, like, unbiased on it. But the thing is, is that sometimes your sanity lies between you and a dog chew. And if you... <laughs> so... I, Fair. I might be leaning... Because... But I will... I'd give her like peanut butter on cardboard if it was saving money and she'd be as happy. True. It was for bonfire night as well. Oh, well then, yeah. No, she can Okay, have fine. That. Well, that's essential. But in the spending ban, yeah. basically, Amy lives in Preston and I live in London. Life is very expensive <laughs> down here compared to there. So I, I feel like I have to be like extra mindful. Yeah. And then I went and spent 20 pounds on a cinema ticket. And then my friend bought the snacks actually because I went to Marks and Spencer's beforehand and was like, I'll take the one pound bag of popcorn and some pineapple and my own water rather than buying it there. But while I'm on this conversation, I have raised a spoilt brat of a coffee machine (laughs) because obviously buying a coffee out is non-essential. Yeah. But the problem is, is that right now I don't have coffee in. The coffee, the reason I don't have coffee in is because the coffee machine will only give me a coffee if it is ground specifically to (laughs) 0.31, which is known as like a mocha blend. And the only place that will blend it to that exact amount is in East London where I do not live. And so I'm trying to argue that buying a coffee out is essential. It's honestly... I'm having I'm having a small breakdown about this entire thing because I can't buy myself a coffee beforehand and now I've adopted a, a real unhealthy tea oh no addiction but you won't have like instant no no it's a bit gross I would rather have nothing <laughs> I don't drink coffee so I genuinely can't argue the toss on this so I'm a tea gal it's horrific but the one thing that I also want to say is that there is a special place in hell <laughs> for those little card machines next to the actual card machine where you tap it and you give a tip for a pound 
because I'm in the spending competition. So when I do decide I want to go out and get a coffee, I've really thought about spending £3.30 and then I accidentally tap the machine next to the actual card machine and give a tip for a pound. This is not a thing. And then they're like, this is a thing in London. I was going to say, this is not a thing up north. Absolutely not. And it's not like right next to it, but it's like close enough for you to like see it first and then tap it. And then they turn around and say, oh, you've just given us a tip. Some places will then see you've done it by accident and then take the pound off the actual price of the coffee. But not in Shoreditch. In Shoreditch, they're like, yeah, we'll keep that and then pay the £3.30. So not only have I spent £3.30 when I'm trying to spend nothing, I've now spent £4.30 because I tapped the wrong machine and they wouldn't take it off. And so there's a special place in hell for those machines, but there's also a special place in hell for the people who aren't deducting the tip that was accidentally given. But I'm going to count it as good karma. It's on. It's driving me <laughs> It's wild. good karma while you're damning them all to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes, it's, that's exactly it. No, but Charlie, honestly, like, I've, I've never seen that. No way. Ever. There was something that I saw and I'm like really annoyed that I can't remember where I saw it. Um, but there was this, um, there's this concept of like London is its own world almost. It's like its own country. Yeah, it is. Um, and which is strange when it you consider is. how small England is, never mind Great Britain, United Kingdom. Um, and so basically, I saw this thing that was like talking about London time, which obviously I think yeah you can def you can definitely relate to and it's basically when so as a disclaimer I've never lived in London I've always lived up north well I did live in Leicester for three years but we won't talk about that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um no offense to Leicester maybe some offense um and basically when you're living in London you're on London time Mm -hmm. and but that is only kind of made abundantly clear to you when you go back home and you see, so like, cause all, all of your home mates are living very different lives to you. So for example, I have a friend, I have a really good friend who lives in London. She works in publishing. She's single, she's living with flatmates and she's living her best life. She comes up North and all of us who are still in like yeah. near greater Manchester, like we're married, we have houses, people are talking about babies. And I've had many conversations with her. Like it, like it, it really sends her. Yeah. So it's more of like a timeline than like the time, like how yeah. quick things or slow things happen in the day. Exactly. Yeah. It's That it's, is so interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like that Yeah. now? Because you've you've had you've been in London a few times now. Yeah. So I I finished uni and then traveled for a bit and then went came to London to be an intern, an unpaid intern, may I add I that is one thing of the generation yet to be named, they won't ever have to deal with that living in London and being paid literally nothing. And nobody could bankroll me living in London on a junior wage. So I decided to move to Manchester, get all of my experience there. And then it kind of just so happened that I've come back. And I think it's interesting because I feel like there's actually a hierarchy to it in that there's London then I would say there's places like Manchester, like another big city. And then there's places that are like the smaller towns. So outside of like Greater Manchester, Doncaster, et cetera, wherever it might be. Because I'm in a family where everybody, my family who are in Doncaster, that is my paternal side, everybody who is married, 
apart from one of my aunties who actually also did live in London and then went back to Doncaster when she was older, um, has married the, the first person they've been with, which I love that. I think that's great. And I think it, it really kind of builds that a real, like my family feel extremely close. Like everybody lives in the same village. Everybody's on one another's doorstep to help. It's fun. The kids are always there. It's great. And I actually really miss that quite a lot living down here. But I find that there's like an interspace between, I think my family who, so my cousins, for example, are, one of my cousins is 32 now. She's about to turn 33. She got married, had one kid before she was 30 and then had another kid when she was 31. And so for her, she's like, got the house, extended the house, got a dog, two kids, married, whatever, like they're way into their marriage. And I'm only like two, three years younger than her and my life is wildly different. However, what I will say is that when I go back to Manchester and the friends that I've got there, they are also usually from small towns. They're not originally from Manchester, but they're kind of in the interim where it feels like London isn't Manchester in that London, the majority of people I feel, I don't, this is just me kind of sussing the way that people kind of um, communicate and, and talk about dating here. I feel as though there's more single people here than there are in Manchester. And I feel like there's, it's kind of maybe more common to be living with a boyfriend or living with whoever, um, like a partner, girlfriend, to when you live in Manchester compared to living in London. A lot of people just live with friends, even if they've got boyfriends or girlfriends. Hmm. And so it's interesting how it feels like London is kind of behind Manchester and even more behind Doncaster, if that makes yeah. sense. I hope everything that I've just said hasn't just been like offensive waffle. No, no, it hasn't. No, it's simply because like, I think that when you move to like the capital city, you have different priorities. Mm. Like you have, if you, especially because it's so expensive to move there anyway, you have to be so assured and you have to be willing to put all of your money into that. Like as so many people do, because I've said myself that I, I'm, I miss the boat of going to London and I'm, I'm really fine with that. I think there's a small, well, I mean, again, this is my point of view. Maybe this is how I felt about it. I felt like there was a small window for me to have actually gone there and like thrived and did my thing. But I would have had to have given a lot up in order to do that, that I wasn't willing to. And what's great is that because of like, because you founded Astrid in Manchester, for example, I was very, very lucky to have found that part of podcasting up here. Because if you had done it down south... I mean, yeah. I don't know what I'd be doing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think, especially in podcasting with what we do, like I said, so many of our clients are based in London. It's it's when we were in COVID, the for context, I started Astrid in uh, 2019 and then in October and then Abby, you joined February 2020. And so it was a very short time period Like you were in basically from the start, but what we were doing was online. Like everybody was online because of like the dreaded C word, which I don't want to talk about, but that meant that as soon as that kind of ended and life started to get a little bit back to normal, people were going to studios for podcasts or they weren't really thinking about recording at home anymore. That's when we were a little bit like, okay, well, of course, yes, we'll travel to this, we'll travel to that. But then it just becomes like a bit of a waste of time. And also it's that feeling of not feeling like you're at home 
when you're at home because you know you're about to jet off again and also understanding that you are there for work but your personal time is spent solely alone or for me I went on a date and then got a boyfriend somehow (laughs) and um so I wasn't so much on my own but the feeling of like traveling for work is like a really hard balance to yeah like living out of a suitcase for a week coming home on a Friday and then repacking on the Sunday to go back to London it, it was exhausting but um yeah, I think I've wildly gone off track there, but I think it's interesting. It's it's definitely a a societal thing of London time versus, I guess, the rest of the UK, like big cities especially. But I do think that the the thing, the reason why London has such a chokehold on that kind of thing is because of the tube. Like I've thought this so much since I've been down here, is that the tube makes a very big place feel very small at times like you it feels big but it's so easy to get around and Manchester doesn't have that no it doesn't I'm sick of hearing the secret underground tunnels of Manchester use them what's that use them apparently there's like um there's underground tunnels in Manchester that were laid out to do like an underground train system but they just never came to be obviously because what the nothing hell? ever happens in the north no nothing does thanks for damaging that train line Rishi too sorry FYI <laughs> We'll not go into that here, but whatever. I've got an obsession that we have to talk about. Go on, say more. The US girlies have got naked attraction. (laughs) Finally! Finally! But I I mean, I love that show. Like, I'm happy to hold my hands up and be like, that is one of my favourite comfort shows ever, which is so weird because it's... (laughs) That is weird. Naked. That's... Sorry, yes. Yes, to confirm, Charlie, that is weird. Carry on. (laughs) Well, when my friend Christy, who lives in New York, she's from Florida, but she's lived in New York for years. She came over um, and lived with me for a little bit. And she became really obsessed with Naked Attraction and Gogglebox. And she was like, can we just watch them? So at any given time, we were just watching. I was re-watching episodes of Naked Attraction (laughs) with Christy because she was so kind of enthralled by the whole thing. And she was like, this is actually crazy. Like Americans could never. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't think they could to be fair. But it's the, it's not until obviously Christy came along and I was just like, oh yeah, this is a TV show where people are naked and they choose a date and then they also <laughs> should naked and have a conversation and decide who they want to go on a date with all naked. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, Jolly, this is wild. And now the rest of the world, the yeah. rest of the US is starting to get it. It's really started to make me think how weird we are. <laughs> that's our tv literally i was so one of my favorite all-time favorite podcasts is the every outfit podcast um and they were talking about it on one of their most recent episodes of like oh my god have you seen this show it's disgusting um and like you said like it is fascinating because for it's not it's not i mean obviously there's an element that like people find it a bit gross because it's like genitalia right in your face (laughs) but it is so it would only happen in this country or in europe but i love their shock and horror because most of the time it's american shows coming to the uk isn't it yeah rather than the other way around that's the thing so i love that we've had and i don't care like you know usually we're again in the same podcast that when like british things come up with them i think the last british discussion with them was when the queen died yeah and so it's it's like we have the royal family and explicit nudity on tv and if that's our legacy and the beckons If that's our legacy, then so be it. I'm happy for it. That's what I was thinking because the thing is, is that the majority of our 
TV is American. Mm. And like you said, like we, there's not many shows that go from the UK over to America, but isn't it so interesting how, like what we consider, like they have so many people, mm. like the UK, how many times, I think the UK can fit into Texas five times. Probably. Like just the state of Texas. It's huge. It's like the, the United States of America is like a continent mm. rather than a country. Yeah, it is. And the thing is, is that what I don't understand is how, like we we brought Harry Potter, we've brought the Beckham's mm. documentary, we've given you what else have we given them? Like you just said, like we've given such the Queen, fucking, the, the Queen, Crown, the Royal Family, the Crown, Bridgerton, given, yes, <laughs> everything, no, kind of American. We've given fucking gold dust, and we in return get I've never seen it selling Sunset, Emily in Paris, whatever it might be. <laughs> That's what they give. Like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie that there's so many American shows that I that I do love. But well, I kind of. I'm just now thinking about it a bit more. I kind of like because I guess yeah, what the UK tend to deliver in terms of like culture is very highbrow, and and that's what makes it across to America is things like The Crown, Succession are British writers, so we're owning that as a British show. Yeah. You know? And it's like any kind of like BBC series, uh, Downton Abbey, they love it over there. Great British Bake Off, another kind of like, not so highbrow, but very like British culture. So I love that this has come onto, uh, is it on Max? Is that where it's come from? Yeah, Max. Like, so yeah, it's literally on HBO's streaming service. (laughs) I love that. Because it does show a different side to Brits, but it's the side that I also love. It's the same side that is like the OG Big Brother. And that, like, yeah. it's so, it's Channel 4. Channel 4 is like yeah. my favorite British channel because it really dares to do what the others won't. Ooh. They are like, yes, we're going to put HD penises <laughs> on your TV just after 10 o'clock. God bless. Gogglebox is Channel 4 as well, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. What's yeah. my favorite channel? It's not five. Five can absolutely. The fact that it's still called Channel <laughs> Five. I feel like everybody knows four is just like four or four OD. Channel Five can do one. I think it's back to Channel Four now, though. It's not called Four OD oh, anymore. Okay, well, voice. It was Four OD, all four, now Channel Four. Again. Yeah. Do you know what I will say? I declared this to my boyfriend Paul the other day and he berated me for it I think that Apple TV is the best streaming platform fight me interesting I might why because everything is stunning it's got like the morning show fabulous Mm -hmm. has got worse each season but fine we'll take it for its glory of season one (laughs) so good and kind of makes me feel like I think as a British person who works in entertainment I love anything that gives me like a behind the scenes of the glossy whatever it might be Mm -hmm. which I love it's got Blackbird which I just finished phenomenal with Taron Egerton in it was like nominated like nominated for 24 awards or something won six of them I think some of them were BAFTAs four of the nominees were Emmys that they didn't get but so good I could talk about that for days. But do you know what's interesting about Apple TV? And this is the biggest criticism of Apple TV. You're right. They do amazing shows. Severance is one of my favorite TV shows I've ever, ever watched. It's incredible. But Apple TV don't advertise anywhere. 
nobody knows what is on Apple TV unless you are on Apple TV. But is that not part of the beauty of it? Because I, I don't, does it does it matter as if they don't advertise? If you know about it, you know about it. Sure, but I think it just limits. I think that they're not rivaling bigger networks and companies because they the marketing is a bit poo for lack of a yeah. better word. I know what it is. I think it's because on Netflix, for example, there's so much kind of, I'm not that much of a reality TV kind of gal. Mm. And there's like a severe lack of that on Apple. Like everything on Apple is like a series or like a limited series. It's a story. It's, yeah. I know that reality TV follows storylines, but the, the idea is that I think with Apple, everything is like an ultra high quality series yeah and they're not always limited there's sometimes more runs of them and I find with Netflix that once you get stuck down an algorithm it's really hard to get out of it and find things that you might like (gasps) that you wouldn't necessarily be given straight to because you're not in that space that is so true that is so true I went on Dan's profile on Netflix the other day and I was like I've never seen half of this stuff yeah yeah my boyfriend because of all of his documentaries and like war things and he is the epitome of like my Roman empire, whatever it is, is him watching anything to do with world war two. And yeah. so the entire Netflix, unless I go off of his to find something on mine, I am just scrolling through thinking like, give me something that's not mm. a war documentary. I can't find anything yeah. else. It's so, I don't know. I think that's why I find Netflix hard. I find it hard to find something I really, really like. No, for sure. So going back to Blackbird, I highly recommend it if you do have an Apple TV um, subscription because you know when you get like a prison drama mm. and it's a true story <laughs> and the acting truly makes you realize that acting is a, is a skill that I don't have. <laughs> And people do it so well that you actually think that that's who they are in real life. Like it blew my mind. What's it about? And if, give if, me, give me a, a top line premise. So it's the story of a prisoner who went to jail to a like a, a low security jail and was serving a ten year sentence. Mm. And then uh, the FBI went to him because they spotted in his personality that they thought they would be able to send him to a maximum security prison and get a confession out of one of the other jailmates there. So it's basically the story of him. it's a true story. Wow. Yeah, it's him. So Taron Egerton is the low security prison Mm. uh, prisoner. And the maximum security prisoner is Paul Walter Hauser, who I've not seen in anything before, I don't think, but his his role was mind-blowingly good. So the story is basically trying to follow... Uh, getting this confession yeah. and I'm not going to say anything more on it but one thing I did realize is that the series came out in 2022 and much like you were saying with Emily in Paris like throwing back to that comment earlier the reason why I haven't seen Emily in Paris is because everybody was talking about it and I was like I just don't want to subscribe to that conversation right now and then the problem is I do eventually watch it and I expect everybody to give me the same hype they were giving <laughs> everybody else when it actually launched. This is the <laughs> issue with you starting Sex in the City only a few months ago. Honestly I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to everybody. It should have happened a long time ago, but that's the reason. There's just something in me that doesn't want to join in. You're a hipster. Is that what it is? <laughs> that's. I would say that's a pretty heavy definition of a hipster. I'm afraid you've got oh. to. You've got to get in line that being a fangirl's cool again, Charlie. It's oh, no, cool I'll fa- to be hyped 
with everyone. That's part of the fun. I can fangirl until the cows come home easily, but it really has to be on my own agenda, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm a year out all the time. This happened with something else as well. I can't remember what it was, but yeah. Succession. Succession. Yeah. But you did. Yeah. But you were, you were around for the most of the last season. So that was good. Yeah, I was. I think I caught up by season three. You which did. is great. But anyway, I highly recommend Blackbird on, on Apple TV and come and fight me in the comments. At Apple TV is the best streaming platform out there right now. Charlie, have you listened to Normal Gossip yet? Please tell me you have. <laughs> have I listened to Normal Gossip? <laughs> I am hooked. For anybody who it is- doesn't has never oh heard of it, God. Abby, please give the... You're the OG with this. You brought me normal gossip. It is like, it is my fave. I actually am going to go out here and say it's my favorite podcast. It is number one. Because, so it actually is. So basically, um, the host, Kelsey McKinney, she recounts literally just a piece of gossip from the normal world. It's not celebrity gossip. It's gossip you would hear from like your cousin's friend's uncle's colleague. But <laughs> the way she's an in, first an incredible storyteller. Yeah. Do people send um, them in? I'm under the impression that people send the yes, stories in. People send the stories in and they do a really great job of anonymizing them, but in a way that you would never know that anything has ever been changed. Mm-hmm. And there's been things like one of the most recent one I listened to was set in a, like a summer camp for teenagers but it was like CSI camp I've not listened to that one yet but I have seen it it's so freaking good I really love it because I love gossip and that's why people do love the podcast I bloody love a gossip but it's a really great way to engage in gossip where like nobody gets hurt yes I love nothing more than telling a piece of gossip or receiving a piece of gossip and it just really scratches that itch when like I don't actually have any IRLs gossip yeah it's all I get that feeling when somebody texts me and says so on on its own or also dot 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 I'm like oh my god what is about to be said (laughs) this is like maybe like controversial I, I don't think a lot of people agree with me in terms of but I love it when like say someone will be like all right I need to send it as a voice note I love a voice note. I love a voice note piece of gossip. Normalize podcasts as voice notes. It's the only way I want to communicate. Yeah, exactly. I know I'm biased, (laughs) but somebody, I made a TikTok about a voice note and somebody commented saying the time that the voice note was sent was at like 15.32 or something in the afternoon. And an American person commented or somebody commented saying, um, is this a 15 minute, 30 second voice note? And I was like, first of all, that's not weird. And second of all, no, that's the time. (laughs) But anyway, yes, normal gossip. There's a debate that I need to have about this. Give it, give it to me. So I listened to the episode of normal gossip that was talking about the woman who damaged the, the chair when she stayed over at her friend's house and was house sitting. I don't know if you've heard (gasps) that one. I've heard of it, but I've not listened to it. So the episode was essentially telling the story of her house sitting so that she could look after all of the plants, but it was a really bougie house, very expensive items. And because there was like a swimming pool, she was like, we're going on holiday, come and stay in our house and look after it for a week and like just enjoy the fruits of what we have. So she was like, cool. Okay. I will do. 
she is have she's breastfeeding her child at the time when she's living there and she goes in the swimming pool sits on a chair breastfeeds her child gets up from the chair and realizes that the wet swimming costume has left a watermark on the chair and the story I'm not going to ruin it too much because I think you should go and listen to it let me just see if I can get the title name isn't it is it called the chair saga yes and she thinks that the chair is just wet so it will dry in the sun but then she goes back and she realizes that even though it's dry the material has been damaged and there is still a watermark on it oh no and the whole story got me thinking about something that I've thought about a lot of times I am of the camp of you buy cheap you buy twice so invest in things that you're going to use a lot so if it's a coat, I think you should spend more money on it. If it's a pair of shoes that you wear a lot or you rely on, you should spend more money than just buying something cheap. I also have a pension for an expensive handbag. And that is unnecessary. That's not buy twice, buy cheap. It's just a trend thing. And I like the handbag and I wanted to buy it. And then I started to think, if a stranger, if I wore this to a bar and a stranger spilt a glass of red wine over this nice beige handbag that was really mm. expensive what the fuck do you do? Like, what do you actually do? Because it's not their fault. They've not done it on purpose, but now Mm -hmm. your really expensive handbag has been ruined by somebody that was not you. And it's the same thing of what happens if you have a really expensive pair of shoes and your best friend stands on them and they're stained. I, so I have a, I have a I have a story and many many years ago I um in a past life I did musical theater and whenever you finish a show you have a cast party rule if any person is listening to this especially a teenager don't offer up your house for these things because they're a mess I offered <laughs> there's no a, I gen offered... z listening to this podcast <laughs> or gen alpha whatever they are <laughs> what do you mean of course there are <laughs> um I offered up my house for a cast party. These things do just get notoriously messy. And one of my good friends broke my piano stool. Oh God. By just being an idiot and sitting on it and it fell. And I guess kind of different. We were like late teens, early twenties. Like people don't really have their own money, Mm. but I was also not supposed to be having that party. So how do I explain a broken piano stool? Yeah. And then that I had to, you know, tell my dad, like, I'm really sorry. I had a few friends around and it it broke. Guess what I received as a birthday gift that year from my dad. No. In order to, my dad bought me a new piano stool for my birthday because it needed replacing. But then I was like, You've wasted a whole birthday present. Wasted a whole goddamn birthday present. It was never offered to be, and this is the thing, I would at least offer to contribute in that situation. Even if I had like no money, I'd be like, I'm so sorry. Let me um, like put like however much I can kind of offer. So it's at least there, even if it's not much, it's kind of the thought. Yeah, because what do you do? Do you say to that friend, this is completely gone now? Because I feel as though I would say, this was really expensive and you've damaged it accidentally, but this is, I can't use this anymore. Am I expecting them to fix it? Am I expecting them to replace it? Like what if they can't afford it? The the, the argument of if you buy something, you should be able to replace it or fix it if it's been damaged out of not your fault. But I'm just, I'm like, it's a debate I want to have. I want to know what people do in a situation where 
their belongings have been damaged by somebody else. There's an episode of Sex in the City you mustn't have got. Somebody up. said that. There is. So basically what happens is, if you don't mind me telling you. No, um, please. So Carrie goes to a party, obviously wearing um, her Manolos. And, obviously. But it's a shoes off house. And yeah. she kind of resists it of like, the, the outfit doesn't make sense without the Manolos. And she's like, <laughs> take the shoes off, Carrie. And so she takes her shoes off. She goes to leave and someone has taken her shoes. <gasps> and so she kind of has this awkward interaction with the who was hosting because she was like, what do you want me to do about it? Why are you coming to a party in $300 shoes? And Carrie yeah. was like, why are you allowing your guests to steal $300 shoes? Yeah. And that is the exact same thing of the- What would you do? If I was Carrie or the host, because that's the thing. If, if you were if, Carrie, if I see, if I was Carrie, I don't. I wouldn't do anything. I don't think. I don't think I would have the ability to ask for money. It's just not. It's just not in me. And you're making a face where you're like, you're an idiot, Abby. <laughs> of course you should. They're three hundred dollars shoes. <laughs> no, but I. I do feel like if I'm. It's different, I think, if it's a stranger and a friend. Yeah. If it was a friend, I think I would be like, that was, that's like either really precious to me or it's really expensive and you've just spilt red wine over a leather beige bag. I can't use that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm going to have to buy a new one. I would think I would open the door, like open the floor for them to, to offer. offer. Yeah. But if it was a stranger, I feel like I would... I don't know. I can't tell whether I would do the thing of you have to replace that or if I would be yeah. the person that's just like, don't worry, it's fine. I don't think I could people please not with that bag. I've got one specific thing in mind that I own. And yeah. if, if somebody damaged that accidentally, a stranger, I'd be like, you're going to have to replace that. And yeah. if it's a friend, I think I would have to guilt trip them into oblivion and, and ask them to to replace or fix it Mm. and the chair saga episode is what made me think about this of normal gossip and it was so interesting like the different thoughts because I think it just boils down to whether one you would spend that amount of money on what the item is and two like that argument of should you buy something that is beyond replacement out of your own cash if somebody else damages it but I don't think it should I I truly believe that there's things expensive in this world that are out of your control. And if you need to be less careless and respect other people's space and keep your red wine to yourself in my imaginary scenario, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm so interested if anybody's listening and they have an answer to it or a story about it, then please do share it. A la normal yeah. gossip. I've just completely stolen that whole idea, but it's, it's not, not the podcast, just the idea of having something expensive and someone damaging it. I'm not going to ruin the end of the chair saga, but... No, I'm going to go listen to it on my next Listen to it and tell me what you think. It's it's a wild story. Well, thank you so much for listening to the pilot of The Listen. Yeah. We are very excited to have brought this to you. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, You can give me and Abby a follow at the links in the bio. There's too many for me to just list off here. Um, But it'd be really nice to see you over on socials. And on a final note, this podcast has been produced by Astro Productions, the podcast network that puts women first. The executive producers are Abby Gibson and Charlie Perry. The assistant producer is Sophie McQuillan. Editing by Abby Gibson and Sophie McQuillan. Video editing by Lauren Howie and production coordination by Molly Sainty. If you want to get in touch and send us a little love letter, you can email us at hello at astroproductions.co.uk. 
See you next time. Bye.